0: Hi, I'm Caitlin Van Mall host of I Survived. If you enjoy I Survived, we are excited to announce a new launch. Starting November 15th, we'll be reposting our classic episodes from Season 1 of I Survived. We hope to reach a whole new audience with these important stories of survival. And for those of you who have been with us since the beginning, we think these powerful episodes warrant another listen. Starting November 15th, look out for those episodes and more news from I Survived. Welcome to the Dr. Drew Podcast. We appreciate you all being here and supporting the people that support us. And uh, don't forget some of the other stuff I've got going on, uh, the streaming shows at drdrew.tv and, of course, After Dark and the Adam and Drew and all stuff all over at drdrew.com. Uh, and, uh, yeah, After Dark, don't forget, I'll have to see the Corolla Faithful over there. Today is a another perf- command performance by my friend Mark McDonald. I can't get enough of Mark. The book is Freedom from Fear. Uh, he applies his psychiatric uh, acuity. To the undiagnosed epidemic of fear addiction. Uh, fear itself has become uh, I I get overwhelmed when I even think about how miserable the fear has become been deployed in this country. The Instagram is at the Mark McDonald. And McDonald is spelled M C D O N A L D. Twitter is at at M McDonald M D. Substack Mark McDonald md.substack.com and the website is dissidentmd.com, which I just love. I love the dissident quality. Did you ever think you'd be somebody pushing back so hard on so many things in our world? I had
1: no idea. Were you that kind of person always, or Never. is this something? Yeah, me neither. no. The editor from my book actually came up with that dissident MD because he said this encapsulates everything about what you're doing.
0: Is it uncomfortable to be a dissident, so-called?
1: It would have been a few years ago because I had a, a bit of a negative. I thought there was a negative connotation to a dissident, somebody yeah, who's just sort too. of negative to be negative. Yeah. But now, basically, dissident encompasses anyone with a difference of opinion. And you're involved with Dr. Cariardi, too, right? Is he in your yes, camp? Yes, he is. Uh, he, he is actually a colleague of mine, and uh, we've spoken quite a bit, and actually gone on a few projects together. He I was mean, fired.
0: I mean, here's another guy that was, you know, head of the bioethics committee for the yes. University of California, Irvine, Correct. mainstream psychiatrist, teaching psychiatry, winning
1: teaching awards. All of a sudden, he's a dissident. He's now a dissident for saying, we individuals have the right to decide what sort of medical treatments we receive, and he essentially lost his job for that. For saying that? Just for saying that. It's just so disgusting. It's horrid, and it's not getting any better. Just yesterday, the LA County Board of Public Health Director Barbara Ferrar, the fake doctor with no clinical experience, making $649,000 a year, as I wrote in my substack published this morning... Has announced that because case numbers are rising, she wants to reintroduce universal masking throughout all of Los Angeles County, including the 600,000 students. Already, the, the county of Sacramento and the city school system in Sacramento has announced they are going to reinstitute masking for all of their kids probably starting next week. It is possible for us not to comply. If we can get people,
0: do you think people are going to comply with this? That's
1: the question that I have been tossing around in my head for the last few weeks. I mean, honestly, the last six to nine months, but certainly the last couple of weeks. And I don't know. I am heartened somewhat by something that I see day to day in Los Angeles where there are fewer people who are wearing masks, or like the security guard at the Twin Towers in Century City where I went yesterday, who I couldn't understand a word he was saying. He's just mumbling. And I said, look, honestly, I can't understand what you're saying. Would you just take that thing off? And he was delighted. He removed it. He was smiling. He was friendly. He turned into a human again. That gives me hope. But then I also see people at the Regis facility where I run office space who have been sitting there for the last three years and are still sitting there voluntarily wearing masks and mumbling to people coming in and out. So I don't know. I, I... I feel like, you know, as Dennis Prager says this a lot, and I follow him, I've been on his show a few times, had dinner with him and his wife a few weeks ago. He, he discusses you and, uh, and Adam Carolla very frequently. He loves you guys. And uh, he said he was with Jordan Peterson at a conference uh, down in San Diego maybe a month or two ago about uh, Bible commentary that, that Dennis is writing for his book. And he said, Jordan, do you think you really know a person if that person hasn't been tested? And Jordan responded without hesitating, no. Mm. And this is the thing. I feel like all the people in L.A., they have been tested, and most of them have failed. Mm-hmm. So why would they now go back and re- do a redo and pass the test? Well, back to your point know. about fear.
0: Yeah. I think the effectiveness of that, what shall we call it, bromide is diminishing. And what I have seen every time we talk, I I have a little more information in my head about what the hell happened. Because when we first talked, I'm like, "What? What's going on? What happened here?" Now I'm starting to see that fear was a policy. Yes, it was. It was. It was used consciously. It was a policy. Yeah, and they succeeded. In scaring the shit out of people and and, and that was this a reprehensible idea where since when does f- scaring people into compliance with medical compliance is that I, I it's unbelievable to me and so that they they chose the the non-pharmacological intervention that they were hypnotized into believing by the Ch- Chinese Communist Party they adopted that uber Alice and then they used this fear technique which was Never contemplated in public health before, without any concern for risk reward, just zero risk reward analysis, and then they applied it, and it worked. Uh, and they can, and then the f- the press, you know, really got the fear up. I think people have learned a little bit that they can't trust the press, that this fear technique was unjustified, and and maybe un- not only just un, I don't want to say unnecessary, but was was reprehensible. And that they shouldn't listen to the press. And they shouldn't listen to these fear things so much. So when they start using, in, invoking policies that they're used to be able to to a, sort of uh, fiat imp, um, uh, um, employ, because they could, they had the fear there. They fe- they could get people to comply because
1: they were afraid. They're not afraid anymore. So I, I don't think they're going to be so apt to comply. That's what I'm hoping for. Yeah. Because I agree completely. The fear it was really the engine for this whole. Uh, panic. You know, yeah. I don't even call it a pandemic anymore. I just call it the panic. Yeah. Because it really was like a panic. Yeah. Uh, there was a substitution of thoughtfulness, of consideration, of weighing risks and benefits, of basic rationality yeah. for the the injection of a fear molecule. And it, it it in a way, it sort of weakened our immune system. Uh, I don't mean, I mean metaphorically, it weakened our immune system. When people are scared, they can't withstand... Uh, an assault by irrationality. They, yeah. they react in, in a very primal yes, way. Yes. Yes. And that, if it can be overcome, and that's why I, I published the book *Freedom from Fear* a few months ago. If, if we can overcome that, what I call addiction to fear in a lot of ways it operates like an addiction, then I do think we have a shot at rationality, and we do have a shot at pushing back. Without that, though, I think we're doomed. I, I think yeah. it's just going to be a repetition. Oh so that's the God. key it's question. Awful. Well, I think
0: the main fear addict was the press, because they had all saw sorts of secondary gain from it. And so they really leaned into it. And if, if they start to understand that they become less um, believable the more they push that BS, uh, and that the less people want to watch their stuff, it goes the other way, and maybe they'll calm down a little bit on some of that I agree
1: with that as well. I just uh, spoke yesterday for an online class that I teach on uh, propaganda. Uh, It's called How Not to Be Fooled on IPAC.edu. And the subject yesterday that I spoke about was the media, exactly that. And I came up with two propositions for how the media will act in favor of or against propaganda in the future, and one of the points that I made, one of those two points, was whether or not the media will allow for dissenting views and whether or not the media will be able to uh, release its grip on the monopoly of information processing. I have a friend who said two years ago when Parler was taken off of the App Store by Apple, he works for Apple, by the way. He's worked there for 20 years. I asked him, how do you feel about that as an employee of Apple? He said, well, they broke the rules. They should be deplatformed. And I said, well, do you think that there may be some information of value on Parler that should be allowed to be produced and disseminated? He said, well, look, I'm very well informed. I listen to six news sources every day. And he listed all six of them. They're always the same all but Breitbart. So I said, no, you listen to two. You listen to five that say the same thing, and then you listen to Breitbart. (laughs) I said, so so you don't really listen to six news sources. And this is the problem, the monopolistic power. And now that we have Elon Musk retaking Twitter and saying, you know what, I'm going to allow things to be said on there that may make people uncomfortable. Now I feel like there's some shot at having a public square again, because if the media can be competed with, then I think we have the possibility of having better information, reducing fear. So I have some little bit modicum of hope, but I I just don't know how things will play out. And
0: and just as a a for people to know, we are recording this just part of the holidays, and I know this is now February, so things will have evolved since then. I, I'm going to predict that it will help that his that Elon Musk being at Twitter will help, especially they have not released yet all the the medical no, stuff it's still going. Uh, they're still looking at it. Is that what's it's happening? Still being released. Uh, they, well, they're just bit. releasing the political stuff, but when they released what they did medically and the why oh, they the did it, the next stage. Yeah, that's going to be insane. That hasn't even I think yes. people are going to
1: be. Blown away by that. I am really looking forward to that. Yeah, me too. There's so much truth that has not been released yet. Correct. And so, since we last talked, I've made more
0: of a habit of uh, interviewing people that were deplatformed in silence and stuff. And, and I've learned some stuff from talking. I don't agree with everything they say. And what's you know what's odd to me? This I want to you to know, put your psychiatric head in this for a second. When we used to hear way outlying opinions that we disagreed with, we used to call that interesting. We didn't call those bad people, we call those interesting. I don't disagree. I disagree with you. Here's why I disagree. Interesting. Thank you for making me think, for making me clarify my position. Not you're a horrible person for disagreeing with me. It's that's bizarre to me.
1: It's completely changed. I, is it a permanent change or is this part of the fear thing? This is a tribal thing, you know, in the face of fear. Well, you know, I I've brought in a book today by Jack Donovan called The Way of Men, which I I did not write. I have no financial interest in this book. I just think it's a fantastic book. It was written 10, 12 years ago that talks about masculinity and it discusses and defines what masculinity is. And I think it's it's a, a, a good compendium to what I wrote recently about overcoming fear because even though he doesn't address fear explicitly, I think that implicit in the book is a teaching or I would say even observation that those who live in fear cannot actually be masculine. And I say live in fear, I mean irrational fear chronically. It's like the difference between pain and chronic pain. pain and you is want to differentiate
0: bit. that from anxiety?
1: Yes. Uh, anxiety is usually non-specific. It could be specific, you know, anxiety around seeing snakes. But but anxiety, the way that I see it uh, in society and the way I see it in my practice, is is generally um, a kind of a state. A, a state of being, yeah. It's a state of being. Whereas fear, although it can evolve into a state, it, it usually starts out as being uh, specific to a... To a, a expected. Yeah. A something bad is going to happen and I know what it's going to be. Yeah. I'm going to die of an infection. That's yeah. fear. Anxiety, and a lot of people have anxiety now, just anxiety about general safety of their health is is very nonspecific, and there's no way to sort of uh, reduce that anxiety unless you become obsessively compulsive about things.
0: Have there been periods of yeah this I say this to be funny, not to be you know, I don't know, to get canceled. <laughs> But uh, Adam and I sit around and think all the time, when did we become such pussies? When did that happen? <laughs> what happened? But that's kind of what we're talking about here. But, but my question is, have there been periods of history that,
1: give, that inform us where people have become pussies? I think it happened in the 60s. Oh, And I agree with Donovan in the book. Uh, I believe it happened after World War II. We probably peaked in our expression of masculinity in World War II. And when I say masculinity, I'm gonna use the definition that he provides, which I think is excellent, because it's not culturally specific. It's, it's actually more um, societal, more primitive, more biologic. It doesn't redefine based on what country you're in or what language you speak. And we're not talking about gender or sex. We're talking about a, a phenomenon, yes. masculinity. Masculinity through men. Oh, as a XY male expression. It, yes, so not culturally okay. defined and not gender-specific through okay. the lens of transgenderism. I mean, something that is so intrinsic So across and inherent time, across culture. Correct. Okay. And there's a few qualities that he uses to define it. Uh, one of them is courage. Courage must exist within a man for him to be masculine. And, and courage is really facing risk. Uh, for a greater good and risk of the self and of people around you in order to achieve something that is more important than comfort. I'm, I'm going to stop you. Gary, look this up for me. I think it was
0: Voltaire, uh, virtue untested is no virtue at all, is that which is sort of
1: a statement about courage. It is, and it's just similar to what Jordan Peterson said. If you're not tested, how do you really know who you are? And I think we were tested in World War II, and we found out who we were. Uh, since then, things have really shifted. Physical strength This is also objective and biologic. That is a masculine trait. Uh, A man who has very low level of physical strength is not considered to be as masculine because he cannot exhibit physical courage to the degree that someone who's strong can. Women, of course, are physically weaker, which is why we don't consider physical strength in a woman to be necessarily desirable or, let's say, feminine. Mm. Uh, Also, mastery. So being capable of hunting, of fighting, of tilling the earth, of producing tools, some sort of skill set that allows you to benefit and to the, for the community and your family to benefit. That's also considered very masculine.
0: And, and I, when I think about what females have been evolved to be attracted to, they, they will often talk about competency as something that's very attractive, Correct. and height, which is strength, which correlates with strength.
1: All of these qualities, by the way, are exactly uh, definitionally masculine from that lens as well. What do women... Universally and throughout time and across cultures, considered to be masculine. What qualities do they universally? Doesn't matter where they are or what time period find attractive. It will be competence. It will be strength. It will be courage. Doesn't matter where you're from.
0: Courage. I don't feel like in my lifetime I've seen that as a source of attractiveness in in male partners. I, you know, I've talked to a lot of women and men about this kind of stuff, and I wonder if there's a proxy for it because courage feels like. Aggression, and so you have to you have to sublimate it in some way or strategically present it differently.
1: Well, even aggression is
0: actually a masculine. no, quality. I know, but it's 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 pejorative in this culture, right Oh, it is. and yeah. there's
1: there's a confusion. He discusses, Donovan discusses this in this book, which I think is a really good distinction. We've evolved into this confusion over the last forty years between two things. One is being good at being a man, mm-hmm. which is what I've just been talking about, mm-hmm. being strong, being courageous, uh, expressing mastery, competence. Taking risks and being a good man—that is culturally specific, mm. and that expresses virtues: uh, compassion, uh, sympathy, uh, patience, uh, being able to to tolerate uh, insults without immediately becoming violent and aggressive mm. and nasty, because that, of course, can be harmful to you. And, and Marcus to your Aurelius. Yes a good example of that. There is a There are two parallel paths here. One is intrinsic, one is not cultural, one is just simply hardwired, and the other is culturally determined. And you really need both to be successful. However, you can argue till the end of time what being a good man is, because it really changes depending on where you are and at what time period, and also what you are programmed to consider to be a good man. And a lot of people today, especially women, have been programmed to see a good man as being what I would consider to be objectively weak, a pussy, as you just described, somebody who caters to emotionality rather than containing it and standing up to it.
0: Given that female, what females are attracted to, uh, is well noted by men. Do you think that's what's driven some of these men into this kind of uh, role playing that makes them appear more attractive as a weak male? You know what I'm saying? That I, I've often yes. thought that that you know. Men want to get laid. And so if, if women are attracted to X, men are going to
1: be X. They're going to move in that direction. And uh, what's going on there? It's a con. Uh, it, it, it's, it's sort of a circular argument. Uh, the feminist movement, uh, in my view, never really protected femininity or women or choices. It really just attacked men and it decried femininity. It tried to compete, uh, create a competition between men and women, which has resulted in a tremendous degree of misery for women today. Because of that, that, that nexus, it started really in the 60s and it evolved all up until today. It's just getting worse and worse. Women have been programmed and told to expect certain things from a man that they intrinsically, biologically do not need or want. Mm. The real masculine is always going to be attractive to a woman at a core level. Well, the I've, I've new man is not. I've certainly heard a
0: lot of women... Now, they, they, they kind of separated into two camps. There, I believe there are women that actually like this new man that you're describing, but I hear a lot of complaining, what happened to men? Where are the, I do where are the real men? Blah, blah, blah. That kind All of the th- time. I'm not even sure they know what they're saying when they say it. I hear it, and I really don't get into it because I don't want to
1: suffer those slings and arrows, but a lot of that kind of, where are the men? They're asking this question in my practice. They're asking it uh, in my social circle. And the answer is, well, you told them, you women and feminists, have told them that you don't need or want them. So they went away. They left. Yeah. And that's why you're alone. That's why you are dating uh, and um, attracting these very effeminate, uh, genderless soy boys with man buns and sockless moccasins. Or or you're lusting after these guys that are really just
0: sex addicts and things. And how do you think that's going to go? That's true a, a, too. It, They're doing a lot of that. There's there's like five percent of men that are doing their thing, doing quite well on Instagram or wherever on on Rumble or whatever, uh, and they are not having relationships,
1: <laughs> they, and and that's shocking to women too. This is the uh, result of a loss of clarity over these two distinctions and these two pieces of definitional masculinity, which is the Real man, the masculine man, and the good man. Yeah, and I don't think that we even know how to define those in our society anymore. So you get people who are play acting, who are pretending these are men to be masculine, and they can touch a nerve in women that gets the woman very aroused and excited. But because she doesn't actually have the ability anymore to distinguish between the uh, the brute, uh, the uh, the gangbanger, uh, the mafioso, the hitman. Who are all masculine, by the way? That's why I say this is not culturally or morally. Uh, you can't you can't judge uh, between a um, a good soldier and a hitman with the definition that Donovan provides and the one that I that I endorse. That requires the virtues, and that's a separate issue. And this is why, if you ask men today, uh, what's a what's a what's a masculine man? Uh, what's what's a, what's a, a a real man? Um, they will describe a good, kind, strong, virtuous man. But if you ask them, what type of characters do you enjoy in movies? They'll say, oh, I love Don Corleone. He's, mm. he's, he's, a, he's like really great. I really love watching him. But he's a, he's a scoundrel. Mm. And the same thing with the most popular video game. I think it, it was uh, uh, a game uh, that involved uh, hiring a hitman and killing people. Oh, and Grand Theft Auto. People love Grand Theft Auto. So there is something intrinsic in men that are attracted to these traits. Courage. Um, mastery, uh, competence, uh, strength, that are exhibited in both good men, meaning virtuous good men, and terribly unvirtuous men. Yeah.
0: And we did go through a period—we're really talking about sociopaths, right? Yes, we are. And we went through a period in the 60s, which I've always found kind of odd. I always just wondered why we elevated sociopaths to status of good, attractive men. In other words, if you look at who were the heroes of the '60s, it was drug-addicted, narcissistic, exploitative
1: kids that learned to play the guitar when they were 14. We elevated them because those qualities that we're intrinsically attracted to in them do not differ at all from the traditional masculine man. They just happen to be bad men. We, they're right. They don't have the the. Virtues. They, they don't, don't have, have the have virtues. virtues. Yeah, they have all of the intrinsic yeah. traits of the masculine, but so, they're they're doing bad things. So it's interesting. It's it's sort of the perversion of the apex of the
0: Second World War. It's we're taking those same right. ones and we're doing the ones that are telling everybody to fuck off. That's right. So it's the it's the it's casting off of. Well, and if you remember, I don't know if you, you, you must have been close to that age when all that was going on. You—it was all about casting off the previous generations for some reason. I never understood why we were so—we were so interested in casting everything off, but we were. And so, guys that could just hey man do their own thing and express this new wild whatever that was completely detached from the good man of the '40s and '50s—that was attractive to us.
1: This is one of the problems with the advent of what was originally called liberalism and now is really just leftism. The big Achilles heel in that movement has always been the rejection of the past for containing anything good.
0: Mm.
1: There was an expression back in the 70s, if you're – don't trust anyone over 30, I believe. yep. Meaning – That was the 60s, right? It was the 60s. Okay, I wasn't alive then, so I'm just guessing. I was born in 73. Okay. Uh, What that meant was any wisdom is of no value. There is nothing – to learn from older people yeah. or from the past whatsoever, everything begins with me, which of course is an expression of narcissism as yes. well. So we got that going on. Yes, but but prof- more more profoundly, I think, on a societal level, is the rejection of the past as containing anything wise or good. Yeah, that is a huge problem, and it's it's even more of a problem today. Well,
0: it is more of it's more it's more uh, virulent today in terms of the aggressiveness with which these people feel that. But I kind of feel like people my age kind of learn from the '70s, so we're buffering it a little bit. And and I will just I will just point you you know the, Adam Adam and I talk about this all the time because we hate the '70s because it was, was this time when we tore down everything good. To me, the symbol of it has become what we did to Penn Station. That's the Penn Station with this beautiful architectural gem Old God, ugh, old. What do you put up in place? Go look at Penn Station it's today. Disgusting. It's a piece of shit. Yeah, we've, we've at least opened up the Monahan Center, I think it's called, across the way, which is a re, a looked kind of like the old Penn Station. It's a it's an old post office they turned into a train station. It's beautiful, uh, but it's a homage to the original Penn Station. It's sort of with hat in hand, like I know we we did it. We destroyed this beautiful look. it looked like uh, you know Dorsay, you know, which they turned into an art museum. It was a train station. We just tore it down. <laughs> Everything everything old, bad. Everything. We, we we carpeted it. We put shag carpet on it. We put wood tiles on it. We put linoleum on it, or we just tore it down. And what did we put up in place? We put up sort of the best that uh, Soviet architects had in 1970. Aluminum window, sidings,
1: just matchstick with with stucco.
0: That, that was our idea of modern and good. We've
1: replaced... Uh, the definition, except a definition of art, and let's say architecture specifically, which is to elevate the human spirit. Yep. And we have replaced that with, as you said, Soviet architecture, yep. efficiency, yep. ugliness, yep. Uh, how many people and how many pets can we cram into one space, yep. how cheaply can we do it? And there is a huge loss there. And this is true on an aesthetic level throughout everything, music is the same thing. Mm. We do not aspire to write music anymore, modern classical as they call it, to elevate the spirit. We are just there to produce irony, commentary, cynicism, uh, piss Christ, the golden toilet, uh, the dog that is urinating in front of the museum. I think that's at Pritzker. This is not art in the, in the definition of the way that we've had art for centuries. It's, 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 it's destructive, it's actually an attack on the human and the humanity of all of us. So what is the good life? Let's start with that and then refine it for the good man. So I think that you can look to literature and music and philosophy over the centuries, going all the way back to the Bible and then to uh, Greece and and Rome uh, and the Enlightenment, to find a, a set of virtuous qualities that lead to a good life. and. One of those core qualities, which we've completely rejected, completely, 100%, psychologically, societally, economically, on every level, is the necessity of suffering
0: in order to grow. That's interesting.
1: Necessity.
0: You know, as I've thought, I've thought a lot about the good life over the years, and I thought Aristotle kind of nailed it, but he did not include this, which is very interesting. And God, my daughter told me something yesterday that caught my attention. I wish I could remember it she said like ah people that want to avoid hell are religious people who've been through hell are spiritual that's funny isn't that interesting and but but there's a but there is a seeking for the spiritual right now right because people are sort of in hell a little bit and they're not so worried about avoiding hell they're kind of in it uh I, I don't know. There's something in that. It, it's going to more, have more meaning as time goes along. So I, I have felt like being, leading a good life is about a life of meaning and purpose. Of course. Absolutely. Um, suffering is – I'm going to have to think about this because I'm not sure where it fits, but I agree with you. I think it's something that at least should be anticipated. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. I think everyone understands that I'm a – fan of therapy, and I'm not a fan of people making excuses like stigma or embarrassment, that kind of thing. But with BetterHelp, none of that applies any longer because it's all online. You don't have to worry about waiting rooms or running into anybody. And of course, when you're at your best, you can do your best. Working with a therapist can help you get closer to the best version of who you are. And when you feel empowered, you're more prepared to meet those challenges that are, let's well, frankly, there's just so frequent in life. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, flexible, affordable, entirely online. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. You can switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. And I think you know I've referred to BetterHelp, family, friends, patients. I've been very pleased with the professional services that they provide. No longer any excuse, anybody. Take care of your body. Take care of your brain. Take care of your mind and stigma and embarrassment. Any of those old-fashioned ideas no longer apply. If you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can get you there. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Drew today to get 10% off your first month. That is BetterHelp, hel com slash Drew. According to the EPA, 90% of our indoor air could be two to five times more polluted than outdoor air. According to the 2020 report, nearly half the population, that's only almost 165 million people, are living in areas with unhealthy levels of ozone or air pollution. Nine out of 10 breathe air that exceeds World Health Organization pollution limits. We take about 20,000 breaths per day and that's almost 3,000 gallons of potentially polluted air. The number one allergy trigger, of course, is airborne allergens such as pollen, pet danders, dust mites, mold. So what's the solution? We are happy to introduce an air purifier that has captured people's attention. Air Doctor filters out dangerous contaminants and allergens so your lungs don't have to. Air Doctor uses an Ultra HEPA filter that's been independently tested to remove 99.99% of tested bacteria and viruses. Of course, allergens can vary in size, but the average pollen size is about 25 microns. Air Doctor virtually removes 100% of particles as small as .003 microns. The Air Doctor 5000 purifier is powerful enough to circulate the air in a 1,001 square foot room four times per hour. Air Doctor features whisper jets that are 30% quieter than the fans found in ordinary purifiers. And it comes with no questions asked, 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus shipping. So head over to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code DREW. And depending on the model, you'll receive up to 40% off. You're saving up to 40% off. Lock this special offer by going to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O,
1: airdoctorpro.com. Use promo code DREW. (laughs)
0: Right? Not, think of an not, example,
1: Drew, of your life, if you can. Think of an yeah. example where you grew as a person, suffered, that did, offer exactly, that did not include a modicum of suffering. Always,
0: even when it was uh, always self-inflicted, like you know, going to t- medical training or whatever. or the, My first yes. years in practice, I suffered like crazy. I, I look back at some mm-hmm. of that stuff now. I go, how the f- fuck did I do that? How did it even happen? But.
1: I value every minute of it. And and I am not advocating for unnecessary suffering, just like I don't advocate for chronic pain and neuropathic pain. That's not helpful pain. Mm. But putting your hand on the burner and going, ouch, and pulling it away, that's necessary. Yes, you learned. Same thing with suffering. If you eliminate all suffering, and this is kind of what my argument is, if you eliminate all suffering, which is what we are teaching our youth now, you cannot fail. You cannot lose a match. You cannot get a bad grade. You cannot be rejected by a girl or a boy on a date. If you can't suffer at all, zero, you cannot grow. You will be in a state of arrested development like an addict, because that's how I define often the state of yeah. you know, addicts is yeah. state of arrested development. For sure. You will be in that state forever if you cannot um, at least tolerate suffering, if, if not embrace it. And we are completely anti-suffering now. Well, I think it's even gotten
0: more generalized to this notion of safety. Which I, think is yes. a, which I
1: think is just above suffering. I would agree with that. Yeah, safety uberalis. It's an inversion of suffering. Yeah. It's not even neutral. It's the inverse yeah. of suffering. It's not only should we not be uh, discomforted or uh, made to feel pain or to get sick and then to recover. Must avoid. We must avoid at all costs yes. all of that. Like living in a giant hermetically sealed bubble and somehow trying to lead a good life in the bubble. You cannot lead a good life in a bubble. It, it is like saying, it, it, I think of the saying, If you don't want to die, you don't want to live. Yes. You
0: can't have one without the other.
1: And if life were endless, as we often see in movies and in literature, we wouldn't value it. Yeah, that's for sure. And yet... When you think about death and the inevitability of your death, you don't necessarily, I mean, some people do, I suppose, who are highly religious or spiritual. They've, I have not achieved that yet. <laughs> but you don't generally say, yeah, that's a great thing that I'm going to be dead at yeah. a certain number. You, you, you intrinsically say, no, I, I don't want to be dead. I want to live forever. But then at the same time, if you did, you wouldn't value your life. So it's a bit of a, of a paradox. Well, I will tell you that uh, I'm
0: having kind of a strange feeling about this. But I'm gonna say it, which is that I'm at a stage of life now where you start to be more okay with death because you're because aging becomes the other thing you get tired of, and so aging death becomes the alternative to aging. But 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 that's okay if you've led a good life, and so I can look back at things with gratitude and go, oh yeah, at least you know I did that. I I'm I'm good with it. I maybe I have done enough, and I made the sort of
1: enough whatever that is. Um, This is why hedonism is not successful, because the hedonist, uh, the person who has all the money, all the women, all the pleasure, he approaches death without having achieved a sense of meaning and purpose, and he probably fears it far more than the man who was poor, didn't have all the women, didn't have all the cars, but did something meaningful and purposeful, he can accept that death more easily, I believe, than someone who has not suffered and and achieved and made, as you said, sense and meaning out of his life.
0: And I think you're getting it. That is a core principle of Epicureanism. People mistake what Epicureanism was all about. That's actually what it was all about. But going back, staying with the Greeks, uh, Aristotle said a good life was a life of service, all right? And I think we can all agree that making meaning by being helpful to other people is very nourishing, yes?
1: Yeah. It's the antithesis to narcissism.
0: I also agree, think that you know, saving the world is narcissism. Having something to offer a given individual is what I'm talking about. Like, you have a skill as a psychiatrist. Absolutely. Yeah, it's really... People think that I'm going to... All this social warriors are, I'm going to save the world. That's narcissistic. Greta Thunberg. That's, yes.
1: She is mentally ill, and yes. she, by her own statements, I'm not yes. diagnosing her. Yes. But people like her and people in these movements, whether it's an environmental movement or a social justice movement or a equity movement, I guarantee you those people have, as Jordan Peterson said, not made their own bed. They are not cleaning up their own life, and then being of service to the people immediately around them. And in place of that, they are substituting that core uh, meaning and purpose that actually has real gravitas to this fantasy that they're somehow going to change the world, yeah. which is both narcissistic and highly avoidant, I think. Yeah, avoidant and not nourishing. I mean, it's, not at it's all. Not, it's, it doesn't I mean, make you happy. These people are unhappy people. Yes, and they're I, not happy. I, I was they're say. angry and miserable.
0: I, I always, I used to point at an- Angelina Jolie, who was at a bunch of stuff, and I kept saying, so it's I, not going to make her happy." I like, I don't want to stop her from being, you know, trying to help the world. Good for her, but it's not going to make her happy. And then, no, then not. her remarriage unfold. You know, everything happened. That's right. And uh, lo and behold, um, but that's so right. back to Aristotle. So he felt in order to be really fulfilled in that service. You needed a couple things. This is a, this is a step that we leave out in our culture. You needed, he called it phronesis, which is wisdom, and you needed techne, which is skill. You have to have something to, you know that you've trained and worked and suffered to develop to offer other people. And we just want to go ladle soup in a, in a homeless shelter, which is great. Not going to be that nourishing right. for you the way Aristotle conceives of it. So maybe the suffering comes in in developing those skills and, and wisdoms. So, you can be of service.
1: That's an actually an interesting connection. There is no way to develop skill, capacity, mastery without some of, form of suffering. I don't right. mean necessarily physical suffering, but your ego certainly suffers. Uh, nobody. I can't think of anything I've done of meaning that didn't have some misery
0: attached to it.
1: Yes. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> take, 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 uh, take martial arts. You go in yeah. a jiu jitsu studio. I did yeah. jiu jitsu with the Gracie's in Beverly Hills oh, for a number okay. of years. Uh, you go in there, it doesn't matter whether you're a doctor or a movie star. Uh, or uh, Ronda Rousey, or there were people from all different strata of life in there, rich, poor, famous, not famous, movie stars, entertainers, you all start with the same white belt and the same white gi and you suck. And the guy that's, you know, do the, the pipe fitter in Montebello is is whooping your ass and you're, you're, you're really, uh, you're, 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 your ego is completely destroyed, but that's the only way that you can actually learn and get better. And eventually you do, and then you have a sense of pride and accomplishment for having achieved something. I thought that was an amazing experience that I had. Well, and there's something deeply masculine about, or at least
0: gratifying from a masculine perspective, maybe is a more accurate way to say it, of uh, combat. Yes. Uh, And isn't it interesting uh, that Adam always says we've now devolved into safe spaces and octagons.
1: It's interesting that we have created an inversion of the normal bell curve, uh, there's a man who was uh, on uh, a PragerU video recently. who's was a trainer for the stars. And he said, middle-class fit in the 70s, if you look at, or 60s and 70s, look at like Woodstock videos. Most people were middle-class fit. Their health was normal. They weren't fat, but they weren't really muscular. Now it's the opposite. Now we have, most people are either incredibly obese or they're super, super, super athletically yeah. fit. The middle yeah. class is gone. It's true. I'm sorry I to interrupt, but that thing. was friend of the show, Vinnie Tortorich. Vinny said that? Oh, that's Vinny Tortorich. That's his video on PragerU. Oh, I didn't, I no! It's all his name. about the middle class, the fat middle class. No kidding! Yes. It's a fantastic video. It's amazing. Yeah, he's been I, on our show numerous am times. Am I on that
0: video? Because I always the <laughs> video always has me on his video, and I never know where it Thank goes. Thank you for
1: telling me the name. I couldn't remember his name. <laughs> yeah, he's a, I, he's he's a, a dear, close friend. He's a fantastic yeah. video. It's yeah. five or six minutes on impregnating yes, this last fat. week. That's pretty good too. You might look at this one was called uh, "America's Fat." You don't have to be. Oh yeah. So maybe he did a previous one just called "Fat." Well, but that was literally about consumption. Fat's a feature-length documentary that he did. Yeah. He's done a Whole yeah. documentary, yeah, 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 that one I well, am in. So. I, I've advised everybody to watch this guy. I, I, I actually am sending it the links to patients now. We should bring Mark and Vinny it's together great. in
0: here sometime. That Absolutely,
1: would, that'd be a really that would interesting be fun. thing. Yeah,
0: I subscribe to all of his beliefs oh, and values because because it would be he would love to hear you know see your thoughts as a psychiatrist and how to refine some of his thoughts as a he's a, a trainer in nutrition, essentially. Yeah, that's yeah. What, that's how yeah. he introduced himself. Yeah.
1: I, I was amazed. I thought it was a great video. Oh, he's, a, he's a good guy. It just prompted me to think about that because I think. This 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 topic it plays out in a lot of different spheres right now in our in our in our society. Yeah,
0: it, it is weird how we've lost. And again, you're going to make me think about this, you know, the lost middle has sort of an interesting, almost philosophical kind of uh, implication to it, doesn't it?
1: Well, there's a lost middle to everything. There's a lost middle to masculinity.
0: Well, but isn't but, Aristotle's thing the golden
1: mean, and we've sort of, we're, yes, we're off the golden we, mean completely. We've messed it up. And you're talking about, you know, combat and how important it is. It's important because men need to learn where they are in the pecking order. Right. There needs to be a, it's a there's testing. There's a verticality yeah. in the, and you, you need the verticality, just yeah. like Jordan Peterson says. You, you You can't can't just wish it away because you want to be egalitarian. It exists. It is. It is part of life. It is a priori. It is there. It's never going to go away, even if you close your eyes. It's exactly. I didn't want to bring that up. Yeah, it's in the lobsters. So you go into you go into jujitsu, and you are are, you're not beaten up, but you are you are shown physically that you cannot compete with this other guy. You you have to show some subservience and some uh, gratitude, hopefully, for the learning that takes place as you go back and forth and back and forth, and Today, I don't think that men are, generally speaking, men are able to do that. Uh, they are trained, they are told that they must be good, that they must show all these virtues, but that there's this, this belief that men, men must be soft all the time in order to be good.
0: Yeah, well, it's even—it's even. I'm sorry to tell you, it's because I have 30-year-old sons. I see how these messages are affecting young males, especially young white males. Which is, you are not worthwhile. You are the problem. That's right. You are not wanted here. And they isolate. They hide. They—they hide out when that happens. They—they don't—they don't don't want to be a part of the problem. They—they start to internalize that stuff.
1: They're told to go away, that they're not important, that they're not valued. And, and, that and, and men, above isolated. everything
0: else, need, want, need to know that need to be valued. That's that's our, one of our primary sort of motivators.
1: Value and appreciation.
0: Appreciation. That's the word I was looking for. Yes. The couples need...
1: therapist that I went and talked to in residency, I'm going to have brought this up on a previous episode with you. I would bring it up all the time. He found that the main reason why good men have affairs is that they don't feel appreciated by their wives. They need that appreciation.
0: And I think I said this in response to that, is that what, what I have found is men want to be appreciated, women want to be cherished. And if yes. you're not doing those two things, you're you're undermining the relationship.
1: You okay. cannot succeed as a woman by trying to be masculine in the way that I've been describing it, being stronger. You can't compete with men. I'm sorry.
0: Well, th- you know what? They can. Uh, good. Well. Good. Uh, the, the opportunity, the freedom to do it is there. Please, you have the please. choice,
1: but it's not going to lead you to be happy. Well, that's a different question. That, now,
0: you're, now you're, which is you're entitled to say that because you're a psychiatrist. You can say I, this has been my experience. I can't say that. I, I'm in mental health, but not like that. Uh, I can just say because I'm a I'm a free speech. Uh, totalist, literalist, and and I'm interested in freedom. So I'm interested they should have the freedom to do as they please. But if you'd like information about it, talk to Dr. McDonald. How's that going to make you feel when you do those things? The
1: men are not going to cherish you if you try to compete with them physically. You try to be a better master than they are, and you try to express more courage than them. And I'm not saying that you can't do these things, but they will not lead you to happiness because they will not be valued by the opposite sex. If you are a woman and you are as Donovan says, you are attractive, you express a carefree spirit, and you are charming, you will be valued and cherished by a man. Even if you are physically weak, even if you have no courage, you don't make sacrifices and you don't have any skill sets. That's just the, that's just the reality. What is it about
0: that I I, I've never heard anybody say that, and it's fascinating. What is it about that carefree spirit That, that struck me? It's like, whoa, that is attractive. Why would a male be attracted to that?
1: Because men do not want to enter into the chaos of feminine emotions. Women create chaos through their emotions. Men contain it. And the more chaos a woman brings into the relationship, the more stoutness the man has to have to avoid it or to contain it. A woman that expresses a carefree spirit is essentially communicating to the man, I will not bring that into our lives. I would guess that
0: somebody—well, let's let's think about this. Um, Men that have a higher ability to contain the chaos probably can tolerate both. I agree. Yeah. Because because it'll still be attractive to have the carefree spirit, but you can just contain the chaos without, without being encumbered by it or it's, overwhelmed by it. For the
1: larger population, it's an easier sell if you're carefree. Mm. And okay. this is why men who are carefree or um, fun, uh, charming, attractive are not necessarily as valued by women as the opposite. They're not as ap- Apollonian as as uh, Camille Paglia says, not as linear, not as Apollonian. Women don't need
0: that. Yeah. Women need strength. Women need mastery. You know, I'm, I'll do a little self-reveal here, because as, as Susan and I have gotten, you know, for 40 years in our relationship, we get more and more and more honest. And I used to think to myself when we were younger, she had a certain more chaos, and I thought... God, I wonder if she wants why she's in this. She wants this containment that I seem to be able to provide, and but I'm acutely aware that for me she was fun. There's that carefree thing, and so I had no problem really containing the chaos. I thought, what worried me though. You'll appreciate this. This is the private thought I had: was, is there a personality disorder I'm containing here? Is this borderline feature? what? Why does she? Why does she need containment? But, you know, I worked for 40 years, so <laughs> we're fine. But it is interesting, right?
1: Every woman needs some degree of containment, right. but I completely agree with you. When it gets to the point of an actual personality disorder- Well, how do you know when you're there? It's, it's a functioning. It's, it's, a, a, it's Well, a, I'll it, tell you how you know you're there. The relationship doesn't function. It can't function yeah, yeah. because you cannot contain someone's yeah. personality disorder. Yeah, 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 yeah. You can yeah. collude with it, yeah. but you cannot contain it. I so, think there's a difference. So it's interesting
0: that uh, that is a big difference that this phenomenon that has is on a continuum with borderline is normal
1: yes no yeah. oh, absolutely yeah uh i don't think that a perfectly healthy sound woman is going to be ever devoid of having momentary borderline fits mm. seeing things in black and white not being able to accept gray uh Immediately jumping to judgment, uh, injecting emotion into a rational disappointment unregulated, or failing. Unregulated rage right now and then. Yes. Yeah. I think that a woman that a man is attracted to and a woman that's a good companion is going to have a little bit of that. Yeah. Obviously, you know, not to the nth degree, but yeah. a little bit of that. If she had none of it, she would be a man. And I'm not saying that men don't have this at all, but I'm saying in the in the core masculine definition of the man, that is not a a intrinsic character yeah. trait. So
0: we're we're we are talking in you know in the bell curve. Absolutely, right? I'm always
1: talking in the generic, the general. But we're
0: talking within one standard deviation, I'd say, right?
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah,
0: maybe one and a half standard deviations, yeah. and we are not. And let's let's just say this for the sake of being being careful and 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 compassionate we are not judging or diminishing or anything people that are in that out towards the 2 2 sigma out towards the two standard deviations out are we i'm not well, i mean because again I've said it before. Free to do whatever you want. So not, not judging in
1: the sense of a moral judgment, and but no, I am making an observation that the more you go to the extremes, the less functional you're likely to be within larger society, and the harder it's going for you to be to be happy.
0: Except the people of the two sigma when they find each other, they kind of that can happen. You know what I mean? It kind of works. <laughs> no, out. that that can happen yeah. in some cases. Yeah. We're, so we're just talking, in, you know, in generalities. These these things are true. In in the in the, within yeah. one standard deviation, or one and, standard and we deviation.
1: and we have to talk in generalities because yeah. if you don't, then you, you don't actually achieve anything of value. You can't you can't gain wisdom without. Well, making how do you general understand statements. something like a good life for people unless you talk about people? You know, like and people you, you can't. Yeah, it's not possible.
0: So, in the remaining couple of minutes, let let's uh, go back to the pandemic for a second. Uh, how have things changed for you? What's going on? Uh, Last time we were really talking about, I think mass formation. We were talking a lot about about the yeah the, the mass fear. delusional psychosis, yeah. which
1: is a subject of my first book. And I moved from that, hopefully, to a, how do we get out of this, a sort of freedom from fear, overcoming fear addiction. That's what I published a few months ago. That was right around the time I think it was no, it was right before the election, because I uh, spoke to you a few weeks ahead of that, and I said, you know, the election, the midterm election, is really going to uh, be a kind of. Uh, a thermos not thermos a thermometer testing the pulse really of the country and, and where we are how, how far have we come to overcoming irrationality and I have to say uh, I I'm not that impressed uh, it's a, it's a lukewarm a lukewarm thermometer certainly locally in LA LA County California it was uh, a complete uh, catastrophe um, now, putting aside all the questions and debates about election fraud, that's a whole separate topic, I think it's fair to say that a significant number of people here in LA, California, and across the country, in many urban areas, uh, want more of the same, uh, based upon who they voted for. And, and that concerns me. Oh, well, it's astonishing to me. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, considering we both live in Los Angeles, uh, what a, a shithole the city has yeah. become yeah. Uh, to elect a avowed marxist into office who doesn't believe in police and wants to just spread the wealth around and attack uh people based on intrinsic qualities like their sex or their race or their religion uh and I'm not judging her I'm saying that's what she said that's that's her platform I think that says more about the city than it does about the mayor yeah and the fact that people are either completely apathetic they're brainwashed they're still in fear or they're just not participating or a combination and I don't know but whatever it is It doesn't give me a lot of hope and excitement that we're going to develop a consensus and an action to act on that consensus to move towards a place of greater rationality. And and I'm not in any way trying to divide this between a political spectrum. I'm, I'm, I'm really breaking this down into people who are either in the camp of living in reality or they're not. Now, you can argue and debate within the reality group of better ways to do things and political differences. I understand that. But there is a fundamental break from reality that we entered into a few years ago, and it has not been repaired. And I don't know if it can be unless we get enough people on board who care and who take action politically and also in their private lives, obviously, to insist that the first thing, the very first thing as I do in my practice, I demand – that my patients agree to come on board with is that we both accept reality. Well, I've always said mental health is about is accepting reality on reality's terms,
0: yes, uh, and, and flexibly, flexibly, and you know, in a, in a regulated fashion. Yeah. Uh, but I I feel like I don't understand why you know we live in a state in a city where the basic functions of government are failing completely. In you know power, transportation, fires. Public Wa- safety, water safety, all just complete education, empty set. healthcare,
1: all the basics, and even the intermediate level stuff is, yeah. is completely collapsed. It is literally like Mogadishu.
0: Yeah, and so why we're a failed state? Why uh, you yeah, know I, I I'm, I'm always wonder I whenever I have an opinion like that I think well, am I missing something? Am I I really want to understand the other side? I mean why is I I just I'm really struggling to understand certain things. Because I, I know I can't be completely right. I must be missing something. And, you know, same thing is true, for instance, my, my latest thing is, why can't we have uh, age-specific guidelines for vaccine therapy? Do you recommend Prevnar and Shingrix for three-year-olds? No, those are that's for 65-year-olds. But to say that maybe a vaccine for a 25- to 35-year-old may not meet the risk-reward standard we ought to be, to say that, forget policy, just to say that, sinner. Sinner. Sinner must be destroyed.
1: And, and lose your license in the state of California yeah, after right. January 1st with AB 2098. My only conclusion, this is very dark, but I'm going to say it. <laughs> Jesus. My only conclusion that I can reach, which I can't refute personally, mm. is that the explanation for everything you just described, the only explanation I have come up with yet, please tell me if there's another one because I don't want to have to go to sleep at night thinking this every night. This is the one I have, is that all of this. The degradation of our society, the collapse of the failed state, uh, telling people they, they can't speak to age discriminatory shots, etc., is intentional. It's not an error, and it's not from stupidity, it's not from apathy, it's not from left versus right. There is a, a body of thought represented by individuals and institutions in our country and elsewhere outside the country who intentionally want to wreck our society. It sounds conspiratorial to say that. It does. That's that's why I hesitate to say it, but I cannot come up with any other explanation because it's been three years and we're still going back to the same nonsense we started with. (laughs)
0: Let me give you a... (laughs) Let me give you a... uh, Propose a psychological uh, sort of alternative. That it's all envy. That there's some sort of acting out of envy going on and that narcissism is so pervasive that people can't help themselves. Something like
1: that. I think that's... I think you're onto something
0: it's envy it feels like why why
1: else bring people down why not build everybody up and i want to distinguish for people who may not understand the difference who are listening there's a there is a distinction between envy and jealousy jealousy is wanting something from someone else oh my 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 best friend just started dating this really hot girl oh i really would like a hot girl like that that's jealousy yeah. envy is he's dating a really hot girl Fuck him, fuck her. I'm going to wreck their relationship because I can't have her. Correct. Envy spoils. Envy is, wow, look at that car on the side of the road. I'm going to key it. Fuck him. Yep. And it's versus, to je- Jealousy can be motivating. Like, yeah, I, I want to have work harder. Like I'm, I'm going to work even harder yeah. to get a car. I want to yeah. be like him versus yeah. I want to shoot him in the head so that I don't have to look him in the face and feel so angry that I don't have what he has. Envy
0: is – and what look at the injunctions against envy by every religion, every scripture.
1: Envy is one of the Throughout most – Throughout the ages. The most destructive human emotions, and we are just in. In it now. We are completely in it. I completely agree. Uh, however, unfortunately, I don't see any better solution or way out of that than there is out of a conspiracy theory, because I think in both cases, we're screwed. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, at least envy—let's think about personality disorders. They, they dampen as you hit your fourth and fifth decade of life, right? They get less intense, typically. Or they die. <laughs> That's sort of what happens.
1: Nancy Pelosi is almost eighty years old, and I think she's one of the most envious politicians I've seen. I,
0: well, I'm not saying it everybody, but I mean. <laughs> You're but talking I mean, about like, the bell curve again. No, I'm thinking about my my clinical experience that oh, people patience. with like problematic personality disorders it it, it, it settles later in life, fourth, fourth decade, fifth decade. And and a lot of the people with these disorders are sort of in that zone, so maybe it'll just sort of dampen a little bit.
1: It would if the upcoming generations were to uh, turn it around somewhere. The problem is, I think yeah. it's intensifying. As I look down the chain, the yeah. 30s, the 20s, the tens, you know, the five-year-olds, yeah. they are being trained to be more narcissistic and more envious. Than the generation above them. There, there is one possibility. I thought yesterday. I thought, you know, we really did a disservice
0: to eight to fifteen year olds with this pandemic, because we, you know, horrible middle adolescence is when you need your peers, and we restricted them from their That's peers. Right. We did all kinds of horrible things to them. Yeah. Uh, if they grow up
1: pissed, pissed, that would happen to them. We have, a, we have an. That's an excellent point. Yeah, because I, I want them to be pissed, fury and rage and 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 deep seated anger. Uh, that is justified. Yeah. Justified at having been wronged yep. can lead to good because it leads yep. to action. Yep. So I I think that's an actually a that is one optimistic. So point. let's start What's encouraging a- it in these in these kids that are now going to college. Right, they're heading yeah. towards
0: college. You be pissed, man. You should be curious. Stop
1: complying. With everything you're told and start arguing and yelling and screaming, being angry, because you have a right to be angry. This is not narcissistic rage. No, This is, you don't want to let me go to school and get a degree unless I I accept a third or a fourth shot for a disease that doesn't affect me, that actually might cause me to develop myocarditis and die. F you. I'm going to go somewhere else. The French
0: were doing that early, the French youth. But I I think our youth have an even more primitive uh, sort of response, which is, you scared the shit out of me for two years. Fuck you guys for that. You scared the shit out of me. That's a great comment. I thought my family was
1: going to die, you assholes. What what were you doing to me? We need more of that. Yes. I would love... I would be delighted to hear and see that yes. out in the streets. I would I would like to hear that to the degree that well, they're hearing burn the hijab on the streets well, of Tehran. Well, it's one of the reasons I was so attracted.
0: When I went to France, I was like so attracted to their culture. I always thought the French were like, mm. A little but,
1: hyper-passionate at times. It, well, but the young but in, people... But now, yeah. <laughs> young people, good.
0: like, they literally would come... I, my French was pretty good. I would talk to them, yeah. and they would say, look, they told us this illness is not going to hurt us, and now they're going to force us to take a vaccine that... We don't know if we need, fuck you. That, we're not going to. use nous
1: ont menti, je te merde. They lied to mer- us, F you. <laughs> <laughs>
0: merdique. 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 All right, so All we're right. going to wrap it up right there, my friend. Uh, let's keep coming back and talk about these things. Every time we get together, more and more interesting stuff happens. I enjoy the conversation. This, this is going to be a little historical thing We're, you know what I mean? There's, there's, we're, we're living history right now, and our perspectives are going to have historical meaning. They're evolving
1: and changing. And in, re- in yeah. retrospect, I'm very curious to see how they hold up.
0: Yeah, I, I, I liked and like, These guys were prescient. These guys didn't know what the hell they were talking about. I don't know, or somewhere in well, between. Well, maybe in like 18,
1: 24 months, we could <laughs> go back and
0: listen to some of our early conversations and see you know, how, how they bear out, so we'll see. I'd be very
1: curious. All right, Mark McDonald, everybody go to uh, where? DissidentMD.com. You can find everything you need there, and if you want to hear me rather than just read what I'm writing, you can listen to me and Dr. Jeff Barkey on our podcast. Informed For dissent, calling times and topics, dissent. follow the show on Twitter uh, at Dr. There. Drew Podcast. That's D-R-D-R-E-W podcast. The music from today's episode can be found on the swing sounds of the Dr. Drew Podcast, now available on iTunes. And while you're there, don't forget to rate the show. The Dr. Drew Podcast is a Corolla Digital production and is produced by Chris Loxamana and Gary Smith. For more information, go to drdrew.com. All conversation and information exchanged during the participation in the Dr. Drew Podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. Do not confuse this with treatment or medical advice or direction. Nothing on these podcasts supplement or supersede the relationship and direction of your medical caretakers. Although Dr. Drew is a licensed physician with specialty board certifications by the American Board of Internal Medicine and the American Board of Addiction Medicine, he is not functioning as a physician in this environment. The same applies to any professionals who may appear on the podcast or Dr. Dr. Drew.com.